Huh? Is that the doctor? He's not in the house yet. He's in the house. Hello. He's in the house. Scratchy voice, Bill. <laughs> you all right, man? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. It'll probably vary in pitch and sound throughout the whole thing, especially if I try to talk too fast. You going, going go through second, second puberty? Yeah, yeah. You got to talk. Oh, good. I, I hope it takes slow. this time. Ben Ben thought I sounded like Scooby Doo earlier because I was like, <laughs> Reggie? Yeah. He's like, you sound like Scooby Doo. I'm like, shut up. Are <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> training, sir? <laughs> Bastard. I don't. I don't know if you heard what I said before, but I said I hope it takes this time. Very funny. <laughs> the puberty. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Back to the bin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to what should be the final episode of our Top 100 Movie Countdown, assuming we can get it done in the time we have to do it. Uh, I'm Paul Spataro, and once again, I am joined by... Dr. Bill Robinson. Good evening. I'm my voice is a little uh, off tonight, so forgive me. You're in need of a doctor. <laughs> no kidding. Maybe and, a hot shot of whiskey. Ooh, that might ooh. make my throat feel better. And Scott, let me see. What can we come up with? What H word do we have for today? Uh, uh homogenous? No, he is certainly <laughs> not homogenous. Homunculus. Homunculus. Gardner. <laughs> That works, I guess. Hello. I How thought, are you guys I thought, doing tonight? I'm doing all right. I thought my voice and, uh, and throat were doing bad, but Bill's made me feel a whole lot better. So, yeah. That I can make it always makes better me feel better yourself. to have Bill be sick. <laughs> <laughs> Old man Robinson. <clears throat> so, so, you know, you know how... Uh, I don't know if it's... I'm going to go with the theory that it shows how boring I am, but the other the other theory is that I could show how mainstream I am. Uh, all ten of my choices are on this list. Really? Oh, mine aren't. Let me see how many of my choices are on this list. I, a good number of mine are on this one as well. I, I I only had what I think two or so, two or three from my list that were that have been mentioned prior to this. I don't know. I I don't have my list in front of me, so I couldn't tell you for sure. Oh wait, here it is. I just found it. It was on my desktop. I don't, I, I don't have mine in front of me, but I know we haven't hit any of mine yet. I think five of my choices are on this list. Hmm. Yes. So, I mean, there's, there's something wait, to wait, be wait. said either way, because I kind of feel like yep, having mine on five. this list shows, again, you know, that I'm pretty mainstream, but there's something to be said for being not mainstream as well. I don't know. I think maybe the whole mainstream thing <laughs> has been my complaint up till now. So. Well, that's my point. Uh, up, you know... I'm uh, I'm fairly happy with uh, with the list that we're about to cover tonight. I have a couple of things on there that I'm like, really, but for the most part, I think we're gonna have some really good conversation out of these. Well, for me, and I know there's certain movies that you dislike on this list. For me, there's only uh, maybe two that I'm like a little surprised to see them quite this high. Yeah, 
whether whether you know whether I agree with them or not. And I I mostly agree with this list. In fact, even the ones that I'm a little surprised to see this high, I'm not critical of. Well, be sure to point those out when we get to them. I'd be very curious which ones specifically you're talking about. Sure. So the first movie on our list, we might as well dive right into it. At number 25, scoring 26 points with five people voting for it, was The Incredible Hulk. Now, this would be the Edward Norton one, correct? Yes. And despite the popular opinion, uh, I kind of feel like Edward Norton has been the best Bruce Banner we've seen. Amen, brother. Mm. I mean, I have nothing against... uh, What's his name that's playing? Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. But he's, he's, to me, he's a little bit too big, a little too beefy, a little too, you know, looks like he could handle himself in a fight. I, I always thought Bruce Banner should be a little smaller, thinner, and I thought Edward Norton really did that well. Yeah. I also, I also thought he played the paranoia well. Yeah, I trying think... to keep his, uh, try, trying to keep his self together. He, he comes off better than, than Ruffalo. I think that each of them has their strengths because I, I agree with you. I think Norton has the the man on the run thing down a little bit better. The paranoia, you know, he's definitely. I wouldn't say he's scrawny, but he's well, he more. Plays this he, scrawny though. He may he not be does. scrawny in real life, but he plays it in this movie. He does. He he plays it really well, and he just plain looks the way that I figure comic book Bruce Banner should look. Ruffalo, on the other hand, while he looks nothing like how I think Bruce Banner should look, I do think he's got down kind of the the quirky nerdiness of of Bruce Banner. He's a lovable nerd, you know what I mean? And I like that. And I think he really got a chance to shine in that aspect uh, in Age of Ultron. Yeah, and he kind of won me over a little bit more as being Bruce Banner slash the Hulk in Age of Ultron much more than he did in, in the Avengers. That said, if I could have my druthers, I, I would much rather we had had um, Edward Norton for, you know, for all of the Hulk uh, up to this point, because I just think he did it the best. I, I really like what? Plus, I like no. his Hulk better, too. No, no, Eric Banner. I oh, think God. he's. I think he's the third, third on the, actually fourth on the list of four because I'm also putting, uh, what's it, Bill Bixby ahead of him. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, you know, it's funny you should mention that. Um, I'm sorry, it has nothing to do with anything. But I, uh, I was so proud of myself recently. I actually managed to uh, glom onto a copy of the complete score to the Ang Lee Hulk film. Mm-hmm. which is scored by uh, Danny Elfman. And while I'm not a fan of the film, I really like Danny Elfman. And anytime I can manage to find complete scores, I'm always very happy to get them because they're usually bootlegs. And I was really happy to get that one. And I got to say, after finally getting a chance to give it a complete listening today, it's just as boring as the movie is. It's really not a very <laughs> memorable score. So I was really disappointed. See, now there's certain parts of that movie I like. Yeah, I mean, there's parts. I liked that when it was over. <laughs> I, I really didn't care for any of it. I, I just didn't. What? You didn't like um, Sam Elliott as as Thunderbolt Ross? I didn't mind I, his casting, but I didn't think he was used particularly well in the movie. I liked him as Thunderbolt Ross until we got whatever his name is. That's Ross now in the MCU. Oh, Once God, I, saw I hate William Hurt. Oh, really? My God. Oh, I'm, I'm thought, surprised so at how furniture. much I like William Hurt in the role because God. I, 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 from what I know of him as an actor from things like The Big Chill and mm-hmm. uh, 
what is it? Uh, the po- not the postman always rings twice, is it? Altered states. But, uh, yeah, but what, like I just ne- I couldn't picture him in the role, but I do think he plays it well. Yeah, I I do prefer Sam Elliott in it, but I also think William Hurt's benefited from the part being written better when he's played it. Mm-hmm. Now I'd be very curious uh, where you fall as far as Betty between those two movies because I, I I love Jennifer Connelly uh, Liv, Liv Tyler better. really I just find uh, I find Jennifer Connelly more attractive than Liv Tyler I think Jennifer Connelly is more attractive but I thought again I thought the part was better written in The Incredible Hulk and I thought Liv Tyler played the part well mm-hmm. all right I'll I'll agree with that <clears throat> you know yeah, really. The, uh, I have very few qualms with the Incredible Hulk movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, for for quite some time, it was actually my personal favorite of the lead up to the Avengers uh, MCU films. It it's since fallen a bit, you know, when I've I've gone back and really you know reexamined and rewatched the other films. But it's it still does hold up as a damn good film. I mean, it's, I think it's a solid entry uh, in the series, and I'm, was- I'm hoping we get more. There's that tiny Easter egg in it in the beginning. I guess it's a scene that was cut for the theatrical. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the whole scene where he tries to shoot himself. I think it's yeah. mentioned by Ruffalo later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was actually shown. In, in, and there's like, I, I, I don't know. I guess when he comes to, he like, uh, he frees Captain America from the ice or something. But that yeah. was kind of retconned out because he was on the ship. He was right. on the, uh, the flying wing or whatever. A big deal was made about that, but in order to actually see it, you have to freeze oh, yeah. frame. And, and I mean, it's it's I mm. mean, it's a super, you know, tiny little Easter egg thing. It's not something you would have been able to see with the naked eye watching it in the theater or something. So yeah. I, I think a lot has been made of it. But that said, I I wish that they still had left that scene in because, you know, I, I think it would have lent a little bit more to the picture. Plus, they end up referencing it later in the Avengers, a scene mm-hmm. that is only, you know, as a, a deleted scene on a DVD somewhere. You know, so it's kind of right. odd that they would do that. Yeah, I, I think, think we had a really good problem, stand. I think the problem on this one, they said there was something like 70 minutes that was... <clears throat> 70 was minutes? From it. Wow. It some crazy amount of, of time. And... Uh, a lot of it really burned Edward Norton because he he apparently was very hands on in this in this movie, and mm-hmm. when they with with the editing that they did to it, he was apparently very unhappy, and there was some hard feelings between him and the studio. At least this is the way I understand the story, and that that is probably the prime reason why they went to Ruffalo instead of bringing him back. Uh, either that I don't even know if they went to Ruffalo or if he refused to come back. I'm not sure which one it is. Mm. But I, I do I do understand that there are hard feelings one way or the other on that. Uh, I thought this movie had a lot of good Easter eggs in it. There were you know different cast characters, uh, you know, from Leonard Sampson to uh, what was what was the young Stearns. kid's name? Jim. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh the guy. yeah, yeah. Jim. And then, and then, oh god, I can't and, believe I forgot his name. But yeah, Jim, I know who you're talking about. Wilson. And, no. and then, then Wilson. you know even see, it. yeah. Was What's it Wilson? That? Oh okay. Yeah, Jim Wilson. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and then even seeing the super soldier formula when Blonsky gets it. Well, in uh, that I, scene with Jim Wilson, the other guy is McGee. Right. Yes. Yes. Well, and then you have Stearns in there too. You yep. at the end. Well, that he, was that know. was setting up for the potential for a sequel. Yeah. Because then he gets the uh, gamma the gamma 
radiated whatever dripping onto him into an open wound and, and mm-hmm. his, his head starts to pulsate so clearly he was turning into the leader but i guess Which i'm this hoping movie, this movie still just didn't make quite enough money yeah i'm hoping that'll still play out somewhere down the road though because they they have used and and you know kind of hinted at other elements from the movie you know later on in the in the later mcu movies you'll most obviously you know lately with um civil war we had you know general ross come back and everything but they have touched on elements because there was that one uh one shot movie uh i think it's called the consultant where they actually refer to the the little scene where tony stark comes in and talks to general ross at the end of the movie and it kind of explains why the hulk is in the avengers and not blonsky which kind of retroactively that's what it makes it sound like they were talking you know when when uh when tony stark comes to recruit and he's talking to ross now retroactively that scene was talking about blonsky not the hulk and it kind of makes sense of the whole thing, but you, you have to see. I haven't seen it in a while now, I, I, so I can't tell you exactly how the whole timeline works out. But, uh, but it was interesting, I thought, you know, just to have there be a reference to him. I was really hoping that when we got the raft in, uh, in uh, Civil War. War that we might actually see a shot of Blonsky, you know, as, as one of the, the villains that was locked up or something. I was kind of disappointed that we didn't see that. I think it would have been easy enough to just CGI him in somewhere. Yeah, I think well, we did get a really cool if you had a little call back there. Yeah, we did get a really nice Stanley uh, appearance in this one. He's uh, the old man that gets the gets the you know there's a drop of Banner's blood that got into right. one of the bottles. <laughs> right, <laughs> and he's like, Ugh! his eyes turn green. <laughs> Yeah, that was one of the things I really liked in this was, you know, we got a nice Stan Lee cameo and we got several nice little nods to the Incredible Hulk TV show. You know, everything. Oh, from, yeah. The opening was was like like re, re, recreated a, a, a recreation of the TV show with the whole yeah. equipment and and everything. Right. Yeah. The equipment. There's uh, a brief playing of the Lonely Man theme when uh, when Banner's, you know, walking through that town. After mm-hmm. he transforms for the first time, uh, there's several things. There's uh, he's watching Bill Bixby on TV at one point in his apartment. The courtship uh, the f- of Eddie's father. Yeah, yeah. The first time he turns into the Hulk, the close-up they give of his eyes when his eyes go white is is. I mean, that's a swipe right from the TV <laughs> show the way they used to do it with Bill Bixby. So there's a lot of little stuff like that. But I, I like this movie. I think this was a really good entry in the series. I agree. I agree, and I'm disappointed. That it didn't do better in the box office to uh, to warrant a sequel, at least not yet. I, I think a lot of what that you know, at least this is my you know this is my theory for what it's worth. But I think a lot of that is because people were so burned by the Ang Lee one that I think a lot of people at the time this came out, I think a lot of people still thought that maybe it was somehow connected to that one, like maybe it was a sequel to that one or something. And so I think it was just kind of written off by a lot of folks for that reason. And then, you know, it was later on that they discovered, oh, no, it's a completely different thing that's part of this, you know, this universe. And so, you know, I think it lives a better life, you know, in the in the DVDs and everything now than it did when it was out at the box office. But most people that I talk to, especially ones that are really into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, they seem to hold this one in pretty high regard. 
and most of the lists that come out of you know of the of the best films of the MCU seem to rank this one pretty high as well, from what I've seen anyway. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's honestly, it, it's I would say it's lower on my list if I if I'm putting the Marvel movies in order, right? But that doesn't for a second mean that I don't enjoy the heck out of it. Right. Yeah, that, that's the whole thing about the the Marvel list is from top to bottom. Every movie on it is a movie I enjoy a lot. Right. So the fact that it's lower on the list is hardly a, uh, you know, a derisive comment. Honestly, off the top of my head, the only the only real negative I ever had against the movie is I don't think the score is terribly dynamic. It works well enough in the movie while you're watching the movie, but as a separate, you know, listen, it, it's not terribly interesting as a score. I mean, it's, it's okay. It's not bad, but it's just it's not terribly dynamic either. So I'm hoping, you know, further down the road, whenever we might get more Hulk, that you know there'll be something a little more thematic, a little more dramatic that actually, you know, invokes that that imagery of the Hulk, you know, in your mind. Whereas I don't, I don't think this one really succeeded on that level. Well, I think we're going to see a lot of the Hulk in Ragnarok, and I yeah. think that could possibly influence whether they go back to another Hulk solo <clears throat> film, right? Yeah, I'm excited about that film. I'm really looking forward to that one. So, okay, I guess it's time to move on. All right. And the the next movie on the list is one, again, not that I question its being on the list. Uh, it's a little higher than I would have anticipated. This is one of the ones that I was saying that about. Uh, because it's, it's the first Hellboy movie. Mm-hmm. And my understanding, and I'm trying to remember because I've seen this movie... And then I've seen I've seen the second one as well, but my understanding is that the general public held the second one in a higher esteem to the first. Really? Hmm. I thought that was the public perception, but maybe I'm wrong because this is ranked higher. This much uh, this has got 30 points. Also turned up on five lists. Uh, I thought this was really good. I thought Ron Perlman as Hellboy was very well cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did. I'm not really all that familiar with the uh, source material. I know a little bit of it, but not too much. But I like the whole BPRD setup that they had. I thought it, I thought it had a uh, you know like a just kind of that different type of atmosphere than what you normally see in most comic book movies. And I thought it was just very well done. It was a little off. Uh, and it's another Guillermo Guillermo del Toro movie. Mm-hmm. Just overall very enjoyable. You obviously uh, have seen this one, Bill, and I think from your reaction that you probably rank it higher than the second. Yeah, yeah. I I, I wasn't surprised by it being ab- above the second <coughs> one on our list. Um, I didn't see this at first when it was in the theater. It just kind of went by my radar. Uh, but in between the time before the second one came out, I remember I kept going in because um, Comp USA was closing. And I kept going in to look at some deals, score some stuff. And in, in their TV section, they were playing Hellboy. Was it, That and the Fantastic Four movie um, was in a constant rotation. So, And I always seem to come in the part in the movie to where um, uh, the girl and the clockwork Nazi go up in, up into the Arctic or whatever. And they, they resurrect um, Rasputin. 
and uh, that that whole scene with with the ice, and then there's there's the there's the bloodletting, and it runs through all the the channels, and then he rises up out of the center, of the circle of blood it was just just visually like the first time I saw it, I was like, wow, that's like, woof. Uh, so later I got it on DVD, and I've watched it m- 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 numerous times. Good movie. And then anytime <laughs> it was on FX or, or TV, I would I, I would stop and watch it depending on where it was at because it's that whole it's got the whole Cthulhu elder gods thing going on you've got the the steampunk clockwork nazi that who can fake his you know he has like a t- you know ding nazi's done he comes back to life you know he's walking around um just i i enjoy this movie it wasn't <laughs> on my list but i enjoy this movie no i have not i haven't what? seen either of them I, I i i have no no frame of reference for hellboy um i think i think i told this before when we talked about the the Hellboy sequel, but I, to my knowledge, the only Hellboy I've ever read was his, his first appearance is actually in John Byrne's Next Men, which I was a mm-hmm. big fan of, and I collected the entire series. So I was familiar familiar with him from when he popped up in that. But beyond that, I don't think maybe there was a, a crossover with him. Batman and Starman, which I think I read, but I don't remember for sure. If I did, it made like no no lasting impression on me whatsoever. Yeah, you can't go. Yeah, it, because in his own book, because I've read some of the graphic novels and the stuff from, from the movie is basically he's a demon. He comes to he gets back in World War Two. Rasputin was trying to bring the Elder Gods to Earth. Uh, it got screwed up. He got sucked into a portal. Was sent was stuck with them wherever they went. Well, actually that they're like in deep space. It's really a, it's a, it's a visually a very beautiful movie. And I think you'd like it even just for the visuals. I would give it a, a, a once over. I have to give a it a, a try sometime. Cause that, that is one thing I, I would like to do. And if I, if I thought of it far enough ahead, if, if we'd had more time and planning and everything for these series of episodes, I, I would like to have filled in the, the gaps on some of the ones that I hadn't seen going into this. So there's some of them that we've talked about that are on the list that I mm-hmm. haven't seen that now I would like to see just out of our discussion of them. And, and these two Hellboy movies are actually ones now that I would like to see, um, you know, cause I was just looking at some of the information on it on, uh, on Wikipedia and it's scored by Mel- uh, Marco Beltrami, who I tend to really like. So, you know, just for the score alone, I'd be curious to check it out mm-hmm. just to see what the music is like. Well, the character of Hellboy being a demon, he's actually raised by uh, the Kents. No, John Hurt, at, who plays Professor Bloom, and so he's with him for like forty, fifty years. But he age he doesn't age as fast. He's really like an adolescent or like a like a twenty year old by the time he gets to gets to modern times from the forties. And he and you know there's there's. He feels that there's a destiny pushing him, but he just wants—he kind of just wants to be normal, um, to be, to be seen because he's always, you know, they're always tr- trying to hide his existence in uh, the BPRD. Um, but yeah, I would, I would, I would give it a watch. I will have to check I would, it I out. I, I found it to be enjoyable, and I really had no connection to the source material when I saw it. I, I, what little I've read of Hellboy, I read after seeing this. Uh, but I still found it to be an enjoyable movie. So, and it's it's quirky. It's quirky, I think, in a good way. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's 
a lot of things kind of seem to break the mold from the stereotypical stories. So I, I would definitely say it's it's worthwhile to at least check it out. Next on our list at number 23, Thor. Also with 30 points, showed up on eight lists. Now this one, I was very apprehensive as to what the Marvel Studios were going to do. I think this is where the Marvel Studios won me over that I started to feel I had to have confidence in anything they were going to do. Because I thought this was the most challenging. To, to have Asgard, to have him on Earth, to have, you know, to do both, uh, to cast it correctly, to have the right feeling for it. And I think it did all of that. Well, you had, yeah. um, who's the director again? It was uh, the guy that does this a lot was, of Shakespeare. Uh, Kenneth Yes. Yeah. I thought he did a great job with this. He you did. Know, I, in that I, Shakespearean feel to it. I don't think much of him personally. I, I've seen some of his other movies, and I'm, um, I guess I'd have to just admit it. I'm classically a Shakespearean hater. I, I don't like Shakespeare. I think it's very overrated. So when I heard that he was attached to this, it was funny. I was actually like, huh, that's probably the right guy for this. And I think he was. I thought, you know, he, he brought the right feel to it because. It is very Shakespearean without being the the thing that I feared that this movie might that the the thing that might undo this movie before seeing it before it, you know it actually came out was that it might be it, it might not do well because it might be too pretentious too haughty toddy because that's kind of how I always saw Thor as a kid before I became a fan of him in the comics so I was really concerned with how they were going to handle. You thought there was going to be a lot of these and thous and... Yeah, you know, and I wish there was a little bit more of that, but just, I I thought it was going to be a little more pretentious than it is. I mean, while the Asgardian scenes, especially since you have uh, Anthony Hopkins as Thor, you know, while they are weighty, or or, excuse me, as as Odin, rather, while they are weighty and, and serious and everything, at the same rate, one of the things I really like about this movie is that it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's serious where it needs to be, but it does have a lot of levity. It, it, it is lighter in tone than I would have expected from Thor, at least from like the first Thor movie. And I think that works to the movie's strengths. And I will totally agree with you, Paul. I never really thought about it before. You know, if you'd asked me, you know, where did the Marvel Universe really begin to strut, I would have said Guardians of the Galaxy. But, you know, it, it's, it actually goes back further than that because this was really the first I, – I think you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think this was the first time where, you know, they nailed something that a lot of us were concerned that they weren't going to be able to nail. So they might not have exactly started to strut with the very next movie, but I think this movie definitely gave them a confidence – and more importantly, I think it really generated a lot of goodwill with the fans that, holy shit, these, these guys are nailing it. They know what they're doing, you know? And, and this was really the first one with that because while Iron Man was a, was a big hit and everything, um, you know, Incredible Hulk that we just talked about and Iron Man 2, unfortunately, weren't those home runs that, you know, that, that Iron Man was. You know, the, the, uh, there was a, a real mixed reaction to both of those films. And then this is the next film after those. And again, not exactly a home run as far as the box office goes, but I think a home run for the most part in the fan reaction. I think that most fans that did go to see this walked away generally pleased with, with what they got. 
it might not have been strictly comic book Thor, but damn if it didn't capture you know the the flavor and the feel of the universe that they were trying to build and really blew wide open that universe by now giving you a, a completely different aspect with Asgard and, and the cosmic element. And, uh, and that's the thing I like it most for. I really dig this movie a lot. I agree. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of the Thor, mm-hmm. the first Thor film. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good flick. And, and moving from number 23 to number 22, I think we have another one where the Marvel studios took a property that I think there was some question as to whether or not it could be done in a way that would have widespread appeal and satisfy the geeks. And I think they hit it out of the park again. Because uh, at number 22, we have Ant-Man with 33 points and seven lists that it showed up on. And, you know, that combined the heist flick with a lot of kind of just comedy elements and touches um, of romantic comedy with um, yeah, a little rom-com a little just a little outstanding cgi in this one mm-hmm. uh you know overall I, I, I just yet another winner and this one i had my doubts when they said that you know the original uh director you know had his creative differences and walked off the movie and i started thinking oh this could be one of those too many uh you know too many cooks kind of thing right and you know, my biggest question on this one, we did a, we did a post, uh, post-movie episode. My biggest question is, some of the humor in it struck me as the type that I found funny, but that might not hold up to the test of time. Now, I guess we're about a year removed from this coming out, and so far, so far so good, put it that way. Right. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't watch it and cringe as I fear, you know, as I feared I could uh, with some of the jokes. But, you know, we're not that far removed from it. Hopefully, you know, I never feel that way. And hopefully I'm always kind of enamored with it because it's just an enjoyable movie to watch. And it's been available on one of the pay stations I have on demand. So a lot of times when I'm, I'm getting a little tired at the end of the night and just looking for something to put on that's going to be brainless, I've, I've put this one on several times. And, and I always find it entertaining. I'm a big fan of this one. This one was on my list at number nine. Uh, I really, really like this movie. And it's funny because I wasn't sure what my reaction to it was going to be. Really, I didn't start to feel good about this movie until I found out that it was going to be the Scott Lang version of Ant-Man. And then my ears kind of perked up a little bit more. But when they first announced, whenever that was that eventually there would be an Ant-Man movie. Of course, I'm thinking because of the Avengers, I'm thinking it's going to be the classic Hank Pym Ant-Man, which I I never really cottoned to. I never really liked that character. So I thought if they're doing that as some sort of fan service, you know, to acknowledge that that Ant-Man and the Wasp were part of the original Avengers, it was like, well, thanks, but you don't have to kind of thing. And I'm glad that they decided to go ahead and do it because, I, you know, I think the, the MCU would be that much, you know, it, it'd be a real loss if this film hadn't happened. Because I, I dig the hell out of this one. It has a completely different flavor than all of the other films in the series so far. And there's something about it that just works. I like the light tone. It's not quite a comedy, but it's not quite a straight-up superhero flick either. It's somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. And I like the heist tone of it and everything. And uh, 
you know, one of the things I really, I mean, I think the special effects are fantastic. I think Paul Rudd, who to me was an unknown. I mean, I know he's famous for other things, but I didn't know him. I'd never seen him in anything before. Uh, I thought he was great in the role. And uh, I think this is one of the best scores of the MCU so far. This is one I find myself listening to all the time. It's, it's a really, really good score. And I love the little moment where he goes on the mission for Hank Pym to steal that part. And as the, the clouds clear, he realizes that it's the Avengers compound. And you can hear it in the score just very briefly. The Avengers motif comes up when the big A is revealed on the building. And I, I love the way they work that all in. And his fight with uh, with the Falcon and then, you know, that's later referenced with Civil War and everything. It's, it's really good. I, I love uh, in the beginning of the movie, we get just that brief little scene with Peggy Carter and uh, Howard Stark. And we got that great little bit of de-aging CGI with um, uh, Michael Michael Douglas. Uh, Michael Douglas. <clears throat> and I think that was just, it was great. I mean, it was so flawless. And I, I was really impressed by that because up till that point, I, I, I don't know if they'd ever done it in any other movies other than Tron Legacy, but that's all I'd ever seen it applied to was Tron Legacy. And I thought it looked kind of rubbery in Tron Legacy. And here it was, I mean... He looked like he walked right out of Wall Street. I thought that was pretty impressive. So I, I really liked that. Um, one, one of but, the things know, I liked about that scene, just I'm sorry to interrupt you, Scott, but one of the things I liked is, uh, you know, you you commented that you're glad they went with Scott Lang and not Hank Pym. I'm glad that they did that and they didn't close the door on Hank Pym. They didn't right, totally right. change the history. They right. still gave you that there's a rich right. background that we don't really have the story but we just know it exists and they well, can always go back and mind that if they feel it's you know that they have something good to to say there but they don't have to and, and i guess they also a real kind nice of, way to do it they also kind of redeemed the character of hank Pym yeah. a little bit with the whole that the formula direct exposure to it can make you unstable right and, you know because he's always been written in the comics as you know a looney tune sometimes in certain periods of his career so it yeah. was it was you know nice that they kind of Kind of threw that in to kind of clean him up a little. Yeah, I'm glad you guys said that because I that's I forgot that's something I'd beat myself up later if I forgot to mention that you know while Hank Pym wasn't the Ant Man in the movie, I'm glad that he was included and I thought in a really strong role that I, I think you're right I think it does somewhat redeem the character and I and I like that you know despite his age and everything he still kicked a little ass in the movie and I thought that that was really good but I like now that. You know, for people that may not be familiar with the character and may go to the comics from the movie, their first impression of Hank Pym is going to be, I think, a positive one. Whereas the Hank Pym that is, you know, has been in the comics for so long has has garnered a reputation that I don't think he deserves. And so I'm glad that that's not the representation of him that we got in the movie. I think the the movie representation by Douglas was a, was a really strong and positive one. I liked that. I liked him as kind of the, you know, the you know passing the mantle mentor type of thing. I, I thought that was that worked really well for this. Yeah, and it was I nice agree. to see some uh, some legacy added to the the marvel cinematic universe you know now we again i i love the one the the movies of the the mcu that i tend to focus on the most are the ones that i feel really 
broaden the 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 you know just kind of add to the tapestry of the whole thing you know what i mean kind of broaden the universe and this one definitely expanded the universe because now we see that you know despite iron man being the first of the modern heroes that we've always had heroes and i liked that and i'm i'm hoping that at some point they shade that area in between say you know cap in the 40s and iron man in the whatever that was what was that 90s early 2000s whatever you know, so I'm, I'm hoping we get more of those period piece, even if it's not a full-fledged movie or series of movies, but even just some flashback stories like we got with, you know, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. I, I was intrigued by that. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I, I would love to see a flashback movie like that or, or some sort of feature, but I doubt we will. But even if they just visit it once in a while, just touch back on it a little bit, even if it's just in reference Right, I, I love like you, you know, as you you described it, that they they're creating this rich tapestry, uh, you know, to basically to compare it to the the Marvel comic universe almost. They're, they're in 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 a forum that it's really hard to create that they are. Yeah, very you know, much. You, so. you can only put out so many movies a year, and yet they're still creating this whole intricate connection between everybody uh, in a way that you know they did with monthly comics. That you know, again, it's just very difficult to do that and to maintain the uh, the momentum that they have. It's just phenomenal. Well, I I think I might have mentioned it on I think we did a roundtable or a review show. But I fully predict or expect to see uh, that they will get the Wasp, the original Wasp, out of the quantum realm, and it'll be played by Catherine Zeta Jones. I think that would that be would great. be that would be cool. <laughs> I could go for that. I tell you, one of my one of my fondest wishes for the the cinematic universe is that if and when, and I, I think at this point it's more if than when, or excuse me, more when than if. I should have said more when uh, they are able to play with the Fantastic Four in that universe of characters. I would sincerely love for them to place the FF in that gap as opposed to being concurrent with the rest of the, the Marvel cinematic universe, because I think the universe is getting a little full. So I think it would be more interesting if the FF were period piece. I'm, I don't know. I, I mentioned this one other time and, and and didn't seem to go over all that well, but I'm curious, you know, what, what other people think of that idea? Because personally, that's, it's an idea I thought of a while ago and I've kind of latched onto that idea. I think that would be really good. I think the only thing you'd you'd have to really be concerned about and you know marvel could play it to the hilt would be the speculation of okay if they existed in the 60s and 70s and whatever and operated then then where are they now i think well, not just that, that. They, well the mm-hmm. the other problem i mean the only other problem i see that might be fanboyish in nature is that you know the you'll have the people going well there's no mention of them up until now you know not only is that what i would say but that's the voice i would use to say (laughs) (laughs) i think you could get around it i mean there was no mention of ant-man either and clearly here he was operating well that's true he was a secret quote-unquote secret agent but so but but then you couldn't have them operating you know in a big tower in the middle of downtown manhattan you know, in the Baxter building Why not? and flying jets out of it all the time. If if nobody knew they were there, what do you, what did they, they neuralized oh, I, everybody? I see, I see what you mean as far as like secret. I, well, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't play They it wouldn't be able would, to be the first, you know, they wouldn't, they would have to be top secret and that, that kind of. No, I, 
I don't think that's Scott's suggestion. I think he's suggesting they they existed. Everybody knew about them, but they're just kind of in the past because, you know, they yeah. were around in the '60s. Well, I agree with that exactly. too. But that's what I'm saying that you'll just get the fanboy uproar. Well, you know, that's never been mentioned before, and now you're suddenly. Uh, but uh, yeah, I know comics retcon things all the time. So I don't know. I like I, I think I think the best explanation for that would just simply be. Uh, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's line of dialogue at the end of the first Iron Man movie. You know, you think you're the first superhero in the world? or the o- I think he says only. You think you're the only superhero in the world? You've just become part of a whatever the hell he says. You know, you, you just don't know it yet or whatever the hell he said that in that part. Actually, that's all the explanation you need right there. He's, I he's got one, just become part of a pantheon that has always existed. I got one better, which is what they used to tell us when I was in the Navy in the electronics course, when you'd get one guy that would just get so wrapped up on something that was just, you know, he was going too deep. And the instructor would say, look, just press the I believe button and move on. <laughs> you know what? Some, sometimes. Well, how does it work? That. Just believe that it. We, oh, and the other thing was it works on PFM. What's PFM? Pure effing magic. Now move on. <laughs> some, sometimes I think it benefits you when you're watching these things to not delve too, te- too deeply into it. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea is to suspend your disbelief. Now, you're making a deal with them that you want them to present it to you in a way that allows you to do that. And if they come up with too many hokey things or ridiculous things, then it just pulls you out of that. But you do have to walk into it with the attitude of, I'm going to give myself to this and try and believe in what they're doing. And it almost goes against what the geek mind, you know, the, the way it works. Because we want to question everything. We want to nitpick everything. But you know what? Sometimes you just got to say, Does I'm not come for, to I'm you. alone for the uh, ride. Hardcore Fenton Mud. <laughs> so, moving along now, the next one at number 21 on our list with 33, vo- 33 points, nine voters, is the first. Wow, I, I, I can't believe. Wait, I can't believe that the, that two hour TV movie from the 70s got this many votes. This is unbelievable. Nicholas <laughs> Hammond was awesome, man. I know. He's a dude from. Uh, uh, you the don't sound even know of what music. he's from. <laughs> he's from the Sound of Music. He was Is in the he? Sound. Of, he was one of the kids. Yeah, he was one of the kids. Yeah, he was. Ah, uh-huh. that's yeah. the only other thing I know he's ever been in. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing with that funky. I mean, that's got a great score too. Wow, 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 and it's got a porn music wow. score. Yeah, and then, and he's got those that 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 webbing that he shoots that comes out like an instant Whoa, rope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're talking about, right? You know. Oh. <laughs> no, we would be talking about the Tobey Maguire. Oh yeah, I guess Spider-Man that was a movie. Now, when this came out, this this was I guess shortly after the first X-Men movie, if I'm if my memory serves. Yeah. Yeah, not long after, I believe, yeah. So this this was when, you know, the the Marvel movies and this obviously isn't the Marvel Cinematic Universe yet, but the Marvel movies was still kind of in their Growing period, trying to prove to the general public you can make these comic book movies and have them be popular. Because, you know, before this era began, and I I don't know exactly which movie you want to credit with the beginning, whether it's X-Men or Blade or the 1989 Batman or, you know, if you're going to go back to to Superman. Uh, But I think you had a big gap between Superman the movie and Superman 2 and then when you could start presenting credible superhero movies again. 
and this is part of that wave as far as I'm concerned. And there's things about it that I can nitpick on it, and there's things about it that haven't held up special effects wise because the technology has advanced so quickly. But overall, I found this to be a very enjoyable movie despite the uh, the Green Goblin's Power Ranger villain costume. <laughs> I thought William Willem Dafoe was very engaging as a villain. And while he didn't Neither he nor Toby McGuire captured the look of either of the characters that they played. I didn't think Toby McGuire looked like Peter Parker, and I didn't think that Willem Dafoe looked like Norman Osborn. I think they did actually capture the personalities. And, and I like that. Uh, I, I agree with something you know Andy Leyland has talked about many times, is that you know they kind of progressed him too quickly. You know, it, it's the origin issue, let's have him graduate from college and move on, come on, come on, come on, come on, let's go. You know, at least yeah. that's something I think they're trying to rectify in this new Spider-Man Homecoming. He's going to be a high school student, and the plan is he's going to be a high school student for a little while. Well, and they might get a little smarter because, I mean, how old was Tobey Maguire when he was doing that? So they couldn't really keep 40. him. <laughs> I don't think he was 40. <laughs> but they couldn't really theoretically keep him in high school through another couple movies. Or, or maybe then maybe they should have cast somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> This is true. I I, I, I do not uh, labor that point with my esteemed my esteemed colleague. You know, I like I said, he definitely didn't have the look that I link with Peter Parker. I did, like I said, I did see some of the personality when he was, you know, put upon as a uh, high school student who's getting uh, picked on, and just some of the exuberance when he gets his powers and he's all excited about it. And then some of the, you know, great power, great responsibility aspect of it. So I did, you know, I didn't think he did a bad job of playing the part. But I'm still not sure he was the right guy to cast in the role. Mm. If that makes any sense. I'm saying he did good and I'm saying he's not the right guy. I th- but, uh, you know, to, to this point, I still haven't seen somebody who is what I picture in my head as Peter Parker, including the new guy. You think the new guy's too young? Yeah. I think he looks too young. I think even as a high school student, he looks too young. And I think he's, I think he's 19. So he's, you know, he's college age in real life. Mm. But uh, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I think he looks, I think he looks good, and he looks good as the part of a, of a very young Peter Parker. My concern with that whole thing is that they, they, everybody seems to be fixated on this idea that Spider-Man is a young high school kid and that's just it's not so i mean if you go back to the comics that iteration of peter parker didn't exist for very long i mean he was out of high school within just a couple of years of amazing spider-man so why that idea has persisted of of you know this very young high school age peter parker i I just i don't know where that comes from i don't know if that's from you know uh, what you call it the um, the ultimate Spider-Man or what? I, I don't know what that comes from, but personally that bugs me because for me, as a kid growing up, you know, in the '80s, that that was not my Spider-Man. I mean, my Spider-Man was was a twenty-something, maybe even you know, edging into his thirties, that you know, eventually got married and was was much more contemporaneous to the age that I was. So. 
that I'd, I'd like to see one more like that. So I was never really bothered by uh, by Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. Now, granted, he doesn't exactly look the way I figured that that Peter Parker should look, but at the same rate, I think he he had a lot of the um, you know the same characteristics. Now he kind of acted the way uh, I, I thought Peter Parker should, while he didn't exactly look like him, if if that makes any sense. Um, but I don't know. I'll just sum up to say that I'm not a fan of the first one. Um, I like the other two so much more than the first one. I, I think that the first one had great potential, and I think it flubbed it on a lot of levels. I did not like how they... It, it, I, I have yet to see a really good adaptation of Amazing Fantasy 15, other than... The old uh, the old Spider-Man cartoon from the '60s is really the only uh, adaptation I've ever seen that I really liked all that much because it was pretty much just you know shot for shot, scene for scene, and word for word. And I don't like when they go too far from that that origin because I think Spider-Man's origin is one of, if not you know, the best of you know the classic superhero origins. I think I just think it's a great origin story. And while they why they feel the need to keep screwing with it, I don't know. But I just felt like they really dropped the ball with it being a friggin' carjacking as opposed to a burglar breaking into their house. And then I don't like that Spider Man killed the guy. That that has always annoyed the shit out of me that that he the guy winds up dead in that sequence. And I don't like that. I, I've never been comfortable with that because that's just not the origin story. So, you know, a, a lot of the other stuff, you know, you mentioned the Power Ranger outfit and all yeah, that bugged me. You know, them progressing the character and the story way too fast for one movie bugged me a lot. But ultimately, to me, you could get away with the entire first Spider-Man movie being just the origin story. And I'd be perfectly satisfied with that. So cramming all of that into like the first 20 minutes of the movie or whatever, to me, does a disservice to the character. And then flubbing that story really did a disservice to him. So uh, they, they were at a big disadvantage in that first one for me because I, I just didn't like the whole opener to the movie. So after they screwed up Uncle Ben, after that point, I, I, I'd kind of mentally checked out. I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be on board for the rest of this movie. And I really wasn't, you know, I, and I'd never been the biggest Green Goblin fan in the world either. So I don't know. I. I, I really like the latter films, but I really have never cared much for the for the very first Spider-Man film. See, I did enjoy it, and I'm going to play devil's advocate with you a little bit and say, I think you know part of the reason that they that the argument exists that he should stay young is that there's a lot of fertile ground to be mined there that you're just passing up. You know, with with, with his relationship with it. You know, I I know you're you're an Aunt May hater. And and I, I don't really I don't really question that much, but I think Aunt May works with him being a high school student. I don't know if she works much beyond that, and I think that's one of the reasons why you're an Aunt May haters because your your Spider Man is older, right? In order for her character to work, he has to be younger. So I don't know. I, I'm I'm you know when when I started reading. He, you know, he was a little older. He, you know, Gwen had just been killed and he was, you know, in his own apartment. And, he, you know, he wasn't a, just a young kid. But, you know, I'm, I'm also, I, I, you know, I've read all those earlier issues and I do enjoy the high school age Peter Parker. 
And then, you know, you, if nothing else, you're also creating that little bit of uh, conflict between the fact that he's bullied and yet he's got the power to just beat the living crap out of everybody who's bullying him if right. he should choose to. Right. So I, I think this, this, like I said, I think there's fertile ground to be mined there. And I kind of like when they do. So that's, I think that's the big reason. I don't have any problem with them moving him on to, uh, to become, you know, a college age or, or and beyond. But, you know, take your time doing it. There's no right. reason Spider-Man has to be, you know, one and done. And I guess that's it for Spider-Man for now. So we'll move on to our next movie, which is the second one that I was a little surprised was ranked this high. Uh, again, nothing against it. I've never actually seen it. This is one on the list that I haven't seen. I actually read the read it read and collected the comic for this. Okay, well, it's The Crow, Brandon Lee's uh, movie with 37 points and one number one vote. Hmm. I I think some of the maybe some of the uh, love for this movie or the mystique is because Brandon Lee died while filming it because of the um, the accident with the special effects. Um the character the crow in, in, in i mean the movie was a pretty from what i remember it's been a long time I, if, if there's some crazy crow fans out there that are going to jump down my throat i apologize now crow fan man <laughs> well because it was original uh i remember the original comic being in black and white um it came out in like it, it was it, i picked it up when i was in virginia because i remember there was a comic store in Virginia Beach that I was visiting and, and that's where I saw it. they had all four issues and it was but it's by Jay Obar and I remember that it was like the big thing about it is that it was it was, he had written it as a means of or created it by means of dealing with the death of his girlfriend um, in real life and it, it was like um, and then the movie came out a few, few years later and that was like, like like the next time I'd seen it I think I actually sold the uh, I got the first series, and I think I sold it for a nice, a nice penny, uh, a few years later, because I know it was, I remember a time when it was going for a pretty penny on the back market. Yeah, because it was like still on the shelf, cover price, and there was some people that were. T- it, it just looked interesting, and, and I was at that time I was doing a little, get, getting a little out. You know, I was expanding my comics horizon, so I picked it up. I held on to it for a few years, and then you know I saw it like going for a crazy price, so like I sold that and a bunch of. Gen 13 and a few other image books that were like just insane, insane prices. You know, I sold the Gen 13 stuff for like four issues for $80 back to a comic shop. Usually you don't get that kind of money back at a comic shop because, I mean, obviously they had somebody that they wanted that was going to pay even more. So, right. So, but, um, so neither of you have seen The Crow? I have seen this one. Um, it's been a very long time. I'm trying to remember the specific circumstances, and I'm pretty sure it was because the girlfriend that I was with at the time wanted to see it, and I don't remember why. I think maybe she was a a fan of, I don't know, Brandon Lee or somebody yeah. else that was Bruce in the Lee's movie. Son, or... There was that whole mystique about... right. Uh, Brandon Lee died mysteriously like his father, and you know, or just you know under you know mysterious circumstances, etc., etc. All I remember about it was that I remember watching it with a girl. I remember that I was watching it because she wanted to see it, and uh, I'm hoping that I don't piss off somebody in the listenership. But I remember just being seriously bored by it. 
Um, I remember it being just incredibly dark and slow. Um, and that that's really I'm I mean, this is you're going back decades. I, I'm trying to remember yeah. when the hell this movie came 1994. out. OK, yeah. So, yeah, it's literally been decades. Um, and I just I mean, I didn't dislike it, but I just remember thinking, you know, again, you know, to me, comic book movies are you well, know, some of the darkness in it. And now, do you mean in tone or in actual lighting or both? lighting like like there's like there was a well, lot some of, of that had to be done because I mean, I don't know if they did it on purpose, but if you th- with the death of Brandon Lee, special effects were not you know, up to the point to where they could CGI like they can now, right, like they did right. with with uh, the guy that died from the Fast and the Furious movies where they threw his brother in there and CG over his head. They they right. had to go go with stunt doubles and, and, and other things and alternate shots and shots from the rear and reshoot things. And so they probably had to darken it up so that you so that, you know, you wouldn't not to take you out of the story and realizing he's a different actor. Right. You know, I'm not you a know, crow I, apologist. I don't mean any disrespect to the fact that this guy got killed making this movie. I, I, I can, you know, obviously sympathize with that and I have respect for that. But if that affected the final product and the movie isn't as good because they had to fudge some things because mm. of that, then, and I haven't seen it, so don't take this the wrong way, but then I question whether it warrants being on the list. Is, is it on the list because people revere it because this guy got killed? Or is it on the list because it's a great movie? Well, the movie actually was... Uh, I'm looking up a few stuff real quick. It actually... Uh, it was a critical and a box office... Uh, success uh, its budget was 23 million and it made 50 million so i don't know if that's worldwide or just domestics but you know that's back in 1994 dollars so i mean it, it does have a it does have a following there was numerous movies after a tv show yeah, i know i know it definitely has its following <laughs> i just i i never i never really understood it myself but you know, like I, I said, I, I saw it, and I, I thought the, I thought it was okay. It just didn't do anything for me personally. And supposedly, it's gonna have a reboot. Yeah, I saw something about that not long ago. All right, moving on right along. Uh, next one on our list, I'm sure Scott, you don't, <laughs> you're not thrilled with this one, but then you never saw it, so that's fine. Number nineteen is Man of Steel with thirty-seven points. Excuse me, 39 points. Seven people voted for it. One had it as their number one movie. Wow. Now, I was... If if anybody goes back to the uh, Back to the Bins episodes before this came out, I was kind of down on it based on the trailer. I, I thought it was not showing a Superman that I wanted to see, not showing a Superman story that I wanted to see. But I saw it just the same. Give, figured I'd give it a chance. And frankly... I enjoyed it. I didn't think it was a great movie, but I thought it was a good movie. I, I liked There were a lot of pluses for it. There were definitely some minuses. Uh, we did a whole big views from the long box about it that went on and on and on with, uh, obviously, Mike Bailey, myself, uh, Bob Fisher, and Andy Leyland. And, uh, you know, we, we broke it down scene by scene for that episode. And overall, like I said, I, I still... I don't think it's not one of my top, top movies... But I still give it a thumbs up. I really did not think this was a bad movie. Uh, I 
I like the score to this movie. I don't know if Scott, if you've listened to the score. No. Um, there were certain things about it that I didn't think were on key for Superman or for Pac for uh, for Pa Kent, which we've talked about on other shows and stuff. Not going to drum it back up here. I mean, yeah. I mean, I. I it's, it's as Andy would say, it's all right. The Pa Kent thing is is my biggest detraction from it. Yeah. I, I no, really no. Care for no, no. Don't portray. Don't save me. Save the dog. Don't save me. Dumbass. <laughs> so we'll just keep moving along on that one and go down to number 18. Bill, have you seen Deadpool yet? <laughs> no, I still haven't seen Deadpool, even though I own it. It's got I 41 keep I'm gonna... points, and eight people voted it in. Sounds like I need to see it. I think you do need to see it. It's, it's not great filmmaking by any stretch of the imagination, but it's generally a fun in a mature humor kind of way movie it's i mean it, it's yeah. well i i i keep saying and i'm putting quotations up i'm going to see it so that i can decide if ben can see it or not because he's the one that wanted to see it i so. would say ben can see it but then i'm not his parents so you'll have to make that decision but i yeah. I, I think ultimately you'll you'll err on the side of letting him see oh it. you'll be it's not it's uh, not when i say you know you know, more mature humor. I'm not saying more more sophisticated by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, it's it's down in the gutter humor. But again, I found it amusing, and and I didn't think there was anything so, you know, painfully graphic that it would be. Like I said in the past, he's probably played video games that are more graphic than the movie. So, so. Oh, and um, I have not. No. So Ooh. I'm the only one of the three who's seen it. Okay. Uh, you know, this this one is interesting because of the way they portrayed Deadpool in Wolverine Origin or X-Men Origins Wolverine. But you just throw that out. That's gone. Yeah, but but the whole thing is that they did have Ryan Reynolds playing the role and mm-hmm. clearly he felt a connection to the role, but he wanted to see it done in the way that the character was in the comics. Ryan Reynolds was playing the Deadpool in the Blade 3 movie he did. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that was pretty much Deadpool right there. I, as I understand, I think he bankrolled that uh, that that short film that they made to kind of show what they could do with the character. That ultimately was what the, what got the movie greenlit. Was that the one that was the scene on the bridge with the car, or was that mm-hmm. which is oh, pretty okay. much in the movie too? Yeah, yeah. So, but you know. Clearly, he felt a connection and wanted to make this movie. He, you know, he he invested himself in this one, mm. and uh, yeah. I, I I thought it was you know, a, a, I thought he did a very good job of, of getting that done. Now, well, actually, a lot know, of people liked it. Oh, it was very popular. I don't know if, it, and clearly, it's high on a list. But I don't know if it's got the legs to keep making sequels. They're going to make a sequel to it, and if they don't keep up, keep coming up with original ideas. I think it could get tired after a while. Mm. But on, as a one-off, certainly it was definitely well worth it, and I, I thought it was very enjoyable. I hadn't seen it only because, you know, I, I have no, you know, again, I have no frame of reference to the character or anything. You know, we did our uh, our score episode for Deadpool a while back, and I think that was the most exposure I'd really had to the character. But I will say... Um, I remember seeing that whole progression of, of Ryan Reynolds, you know, bucking for the character and really trying to get a, a movie, you know, a proper 
Deadpool movie made and everything after um, X-Men Origins Wolverine and everything. And, you know, while it's a character I, I have no interest in, I will say, you know, props to him for that. I think that's cool. I think that's really neat when an actor, you know, gets so invested in a, a particular character and a role that they want so badly to do that they'll go to those lengths. I remember um, Thomas Jane doing something similar with The Punisher. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that's really cool. I, I think that's, you know, good on them when when they're really into it that way. That's the kind of passion I'd like to see from more of these people that get cast to, to play, um, particularly the more iconic comic book characters. You know, rather than it just being a gig to them, I, I really wish that they would get fully into it. You know, and really get invested in it and bring that character. You know, to to life the way you know, like like Reynolds obviously was really into this character and felt like he owed it to the fans to to turn it around from, you know, from the X-Men Origins Wolverine portrayal to something that was more in line with what the fans wanted in the first place the first time around. I, I think that's great. I, I think that's really good. You know, good on him. Yeah, and I'm, Did I'm, you, uh, I'm glad he was rewarded with success on it. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever see the, um, the Thomas Jane, I, I think it was that short film called Laundry Day? Dirty Laundry. Yeah. Dirty Laundry. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, that had Ron... Ron Ron Perlman was the um, the yeah, liquor store totally. guy in yeah. in in the wheelchair. Yeah, I, I like Ron Perlman. You know, despite ha- not having seen the uh, Hellboy movies, I do like that actor. Yeah, yeah, he's one freaky oh. looking dude. As a side note, Paul, um, yes. When I went to my mom's house on DVD, she has the Godfather collection and the Dirty Harry collection, and I picked them up because Ben wanted to to watch them. I so I we'll be doing man. a. Is he back in your good graces now? I, I, did he leave my good graces? Well, Alvin took his place. Well, Alvin is still my favorite, Robbins. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> All right, got, moving got on. Alvin, you got Ben, you got Katie. And then the, what? What about me? <clears throat> Sorry, somewhere. I think I hit puberty there for a second. What? What about me? <laughs> All right, well, move, oh, moving, moving right sir. along. You're killing me. Seventeen on our list. <laughs> And Scott, I, I think we're running through a, a set here of either you haven't seen it or you don't like it, because uh, at least my understanding is you do not like the 1966 Batman. I'm I got in... 45, vo- 45 points, 10 votes, and one at number one. Well, it's really just a longer version of yeah the TV show, which, I mean, I, I, I have no problem with the TV show. I always so found it's... the TV show quite amusing myself. But that's I when we got another show. We had the and sexy Lee Merriweather as Catwoman in that movie, though. To me, you know, it's it's a comedy. I mean, it's it's. I understand, and and I understand also that's that's one of the things that you don't like about it is that it, you know, it, it set the character or the whole comic book industry back a little bit because it it presented the you know the childish aspect of comics. It was campy. Yeah, but uh, you know, if if you just take it as what it is and not the impact it may have had on the industry. I, I find it to be very amusing. There's a lot of things in there that that just uh, just crack me up. But you know, as as simple as Penguin buying a uh, an old submarine, surplus submarine, and uh, uh, use it using the the pen name of P N Gwyn. Just just stupid things like that that just crack me up when I watch this movie. And then replacing like the screws or something with giant flippers yes. on the back of it. 
Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. I mean, and and gener- generally, you know, they had Commodore Schmidlap in there, and I, I find often when we're talking at work and you want to try and give a hypothetical, the name Schmidlap seems to come up often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we were in- moving along from from the what? No, there's no mention of sh- shark repellent, bat shark repellent. <laughs> Sorry, never mind. Keep going. <laughs> So we go from the very campy Batman to number 16 with the ultra-serious Batman, if you will. Batman 49 points, 9 votes, 1 number 1. Now, I know, I know that, again, that you're not a fan of this one, but I actually really enjoyed this one. I think of the Nolan Batman movies, this is, to me, by far the best one. I... I I liked the realism in it. I That's like saying that last time I got kicked in the balls was the best time I ever got kicked in the balls. But uh, you know, to each his own. Except, except I can I can't say I ever enjoyed getting kicked in the balls. <laughs> I, did, I did enjoy this movie. Well, I, I, there's always that feeling when you come out of it. Always feels good, you know, as the pain <laughs> slowly goes away. You know, it's like that feeling you get when you slip off the bicycle seat. <clears throat> I, I know there's aspects of this where they, they took themselves too seriously, where there's too much exposition, where there's just a couple of plot points that are a little ridiculous. Uh, as far as I like the League of Assassins and and later how it's you know like it's kind of just a title, mm-hmm. uh, being Rachel Ghoul. But ov- overall, like I said, I, I enjoyed this movie very much. I thought it, it presented a, a very good pr- progression of the character. What I would have liked more is if they had shown Batman as a little bit more of a detective. I, I, I don't like when they just skip that part of his persona. And they kind of did in this one, I thought. But other than that, I really have very little criticism of this movie. I, I really enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was very good. Scott is going to, Scott is going from the aspect of if you if my grandmother always said if you don't have anything nice to say don't you say told more. me not to you told me not to tear into these movies so I'm Scott not is into muting him. Him, Scott was muting himself while he applied the duct tape to his head I don't I don't know what to say because we we promised to play nice so well I'm playing nice my whole point was all along was I don't have any problem with you saying I don't like this movie I, I had a problem with I don't like this movie, and anybody who likes it has to be an idiot. <laughs> you know, that's that's what I'm trying to avoid. So I'm taking the aspect of I like this movie, and if so, if you want to, if you want to call me an idiot, go ahead. No, I, I wouldn't go that far. I'm just I'm just saying, for me, it, it's it's like Superman. You know, Batman, Superman, are both characters that I have a very defined version of in my head of what makes them them. And in the case of both, you know, the Man of Steel that we mentioned a few minutes ago and in the case of the Nolan films, I think they spectacularly failed to capture the essence of those characters. And and that's all I will say. See, I would, I would argue, and I'm not looking to get into an argument here, so I'm just using that term loosely. But I would argue that Batman is one of the most malleable characters around. I feel like Batman works in many different genres. That, and that's why I can watch the 1966 comedy version and be entertained. And I can watch this version and be entertained. And I could watch the Michael Keaton version and be entertained. Excuse me. 
and 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 shockingly, I can watch Ben Affleck in the part and be entertained. Uh, Superman to me is a little bit more restrictive. You know, I, despite the fact that I like Man of Steel, I'm a little less flexible on what they can do with the character and let me enjoy it. I, right. I think they need to be a little bit more true to the spirit of the character for me to get pleasure out of it. Whereas Batman, I think you can you can stray a little bit, not so much in the core of what makes Bruce Wayne what he is, but as far as the tone of what you're presenting. I think you can stray off of it and still have it be entertaining. Uh, I, I can be true. I completely agree with all of that. I, even even with that said, though, even with allowing for the character to be malleable and and open to many different types of interpretations, even with that, I still feel like they missed the mark by an incredible margin. And that's what both makes me sad because I was actually looking forward to there being, you know, new Batman movies that I was hoping that were going to be better than what we got the, you know, in the first trilogy of, of movies that started with um, Michael Keaton, you know, the, the, um, I want to see Danny Elfman. That's not the guy, the Tim, uh, Tim Burton. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and then they didn't. So that would actually, I don't be know. Because there were four of them. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about. Uh, I always forget about Batman and Robin, which is probably best. But I don't know. I just I still feel like they they still missed it. Part of the problem is, you know, you guys talked a little bit about Batman sixty six. I'm so conflicted with the the whole Batman TV show anyway because, like you said, I grew up with that too. And when I was a kid, I loved that stuff. You know, I, I ate it up with a spoon. You know, I, I had all the Mego, you know, everything Mego Batman that there was, I had it. You know, the, the Batman and Robin and the Batcave and the Batcycle and the Batmobile and Bat Halleck. I was crazy about all that stuff because of the TV show. But then, you know, I, I got older and I got into comics and, and I got serious about the hobby and everything. And growing up in the age that we grew up, at least where I grew up, and maybe it was different for you guys, I don't know, but I took a lot of shit most all my life up until really relatively recent years about being into comics. And I blame a lot of that shit on the Batman TV show because it created such a negative stigma about what comics are. You know, and to this day, even my wife will will jokingly kid me about, you know, when I'm laying in bed and reading a comic or something, you know, she goes, you know, she'll say something about, gee, there's a lot of words on that. You know, do you need help? You know, stuff and just teasing. But that's the thing is that for so many years, for so many people, comic books were, you know, just stupid kitty fare. And, and a lot of that comes from the presentation of, of how it was with the Batman TV show. And to the public at large, who didn't read comics up until a few years ago, they believe, for whatever reason, that that's where comics were stuck. You know, that they were still campy ridiculousness like we were presented on the Batman TV show. So despite that being something that, you know, I, I, I loved when I was a kid... You know, unlike a lot of things from when you're a kid, you know, you hold on to them and you have fond memories and everything. Batman, the Batman TV show is one of the few things from when I was a kid that I came to hate over time. And it was because of that negative connotation, you know, 
And maybe that's not fair to to blame one TV show for, you know, that that negative stereotype of what it means to be a, a comic book fan and everything. But you know, it's it's just it is what it is. It it just became, I, I guess, in a in a weird kind of way, my personal scapegoat for the way I was treated as being a comic book reader. Like somehow I was inferior to other people that read because I didn't read novels, I read comic books, you know? And I used to read a lot of Batman comic books until they, you know, destroyed that character. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm making any sense, but that's just a lot of how I felt about it. And then, you know, we get to to Batman Begins, you know, starting the Nolan films, and I think there was a conscious effort to swing the pendulum the other way, particularly after, you know, the, the last movie we'd gotten before that was Batman and Robin, which was, again, a return to that ridiculousness, that, that campy, over-the-top silliness. So here was a, a clear attempt to, all right, let's, let's divorce ourselves from that image of Batman and give a more straight-up, serious Batman. And they swung the pendulum so far the other way that in darkening him up and trying to make him more realistic, they also, to me personally, and this is just how I feel, and I'm not putting anybody down that liked the movie or whatever, but I'm just saying for me personally, by pushing that pendulum so far the other direction that they stripped everything fun out of the character. Because I I don't want a Batman who's light and jokey you know, and, and making one-liners and being campy and ridiculous. But at the same rate, I want it to be fun. I want to enjoy myself. You know, I want it to be somewhere in the middle. You know, somewhere like, a, I don't know, like, say, like, Captain America Winter Soldier. You know, here you've got, I, I thought you, you had a nice balance between very serious and a hell of a lot of fun and, and just good comic book action. And instead it wasn't. I found it to be dour, and depressing and just too goddamn pretentious, you know? And, and it took everything fun that I think Batman ought to be and just stripped it right out to where it didn't leave me anything. It, it left me nothing to cheer for and nothing to be, you know, happy or thrilled by. Even the big scene where, you know, he's, he's on the chase with the Batmobile, which should have been really cool and exciting, really comes down to just... You know, uh, another car chase movie. It, it didn't feel like what I felt it should feel like for Batman. And so I, I, th- I think it's very apt that the latter movies didn't even include Batman in the title because by that point, I don't think it was a Batman movie anymore. So I don't know. That's just how I feel about it. I know I'm in the extreme minority because the rest of the goddamn planet loves those movies, but I just didn't think they were good Batman movies. Well, now, what I'll say is, though, I think you're articulating a fair and reasonable position on it. <laughs> you're the first one that's ever said so. No, uh, you know what, I, even though I don't totally agree with it, I can't sit here and tell you you're wrong. My disagreement is, well, I don't feel that way. Not, oh, I can't understand why. You know what I mean? I could totally, I, what, what you explained just now makes total sense. And if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. And I really don't have any problem with that at all. You know, just because it doesn't make me feel that way doesn't doesn't mean it shouldn't make you feel that way. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I, I don't have any... I, I would not seek to change that opinion because I think it's a valid opinion. 
you know, if, if you just sat here and said, well, I don't like it, why don't you like it? Because it sucks. <clears throat> you know, that's when I start saying, all right, you're, you're not giving it a, uh, you know, you're not, you're not being fair. Well, to, to the best of my knowledge, unless if I was just kidding around or just simply didn't have the time to go into it, I don't think I've ever done that. Now, I've been accused ever since I started friggin' podcasting, it feels like, of that being the, the, the you know, long and short of my arguments. But I don't think I've ever been that way. I mean, I always try to articulate, you know, as best I can why I feel a certain way. And, you know, the the thing, I guess where I get frustrated with this whole thing with the Nolan Batman films is that I have said time and time again that I'm willing to be swayed. I would like to be able to see what it is other people see in these movies. And I don't, you know, and, and nobody has been able yet to really articulate to me what it is that they're seeing in them that they think is so wonderful. That That's been really frustrating to me because I've grown, gone to great lengths to articulate what I don't like and get beat up for it by people who love them, but then they're na- not able to articulate what it is that they think is so great. They're just like, oh, but there was that part. It was, oh, how can you not like that? And, and that's okay, the... Well, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say challenge accepted. Uh, and I'm, I don't think I'm going to sway you. I really don't. But I can explain to you why I like it. And, okay. and, I, and I, I think my liking it is equally valid to your not liking it. And again, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to try and sway you because I think you do have a valid point. But for me, I liked the serious take on it in this movie. Now, I think it progressed. I thought in The Dark Knight, they progressed it a little further. But because I thought they took some of the focus off of Batman and put it more on the Joker, it was still acceptable to me. But by the time we got to The Dark Knight Rises, I think... They failed miserably. I, I mean, I can watch that movie, but I can't look at it and take it seriously and say that it's a you know really good movie in my opinion. This movie I thought was very good. I thought this was a good comic book movie because I thought it presented the story in a serious way, in a believable way for the most part. My biggest thing that, that I had a problem with was the scheme of, uh, you know, where, where they, you know, they were, they were poisoning the water supply and melting, you know, evaporating it and it just you know like it didn't make sense like that that wasn't the way to go about this but as far as the way it was presented i thought it was in a, in a respectful way i thought it showed the motivation of the character i thought it showed the obsession of the character of bruce wayne uh really well i thought they showed the way he he kind of became batman and bruce wayne became his you know the role he played to kind of fool people as opposed to the other way around. Uh, yeah, there could have been more humor in it. I agree. There could have been a couple of more lighthearted moments. Uh, and, and I didn't think the Batmobile was as impressive as previous iterations of the Batmobile. But right. I did like the character. I liked the story. I liked the way they developed the whole thing. Uh, I liked the way they kind of made it a team effort. They made it believable to me. And, and I thought that Christian Bale kind of pulled it off and was a compelling, charismatic character throughout. I don't think, even though he was so dour, that you ever kind of soured on him. I thought he was, you know, somebody who you could kind of relate to if you lived the life that he lived. Uh, so, overall, I just thought it was, you know, a, a very enjoyable movie presenting a story in a serious way that I hadn't seen them do before. 
you know, it's sometimes you, you criticize the Dark Knight, and, and I'm with you on it. Not always just for the Dark Knight, and I'm not talking about the movie, I'm talking about the comic. Uh, because the way it influenced other things. And I and I see that as a problem here because they, they you know it was like oh look we made a you know a darker version of it everybody liked that we got we got to just keep going darker and darker and darker now, right. So, but I, you know I don't know if that explains why I like it or if it still comes off as Duh, I liked it, <laughs> but but that's that's my perspective on it. I think you know in all fairness I, I think part of it too comes down to you know, how, how you feel about the people that were cast in the movie. And I, I've never made any bones about the fact that I was not crazy about the casting of the movie. And, 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 you know, for some people, and I'm one of them, you know, if you're not on board with the, the actor playing the role, then a lot of times that, that can make, be a real make or break thing. And, you know, it was just compounded by the fact that not only didn't I like, uh, Christian Bale in the title role, I didn't like most of the rest of the casting of the movie. And so that really is one of those things that just, you know, it, it just compounds, you know what I mean? It just adds on top of each other to, to be this monumental thing that is, is so hard to get past. You know, when you just fundamentally don't like the casting almost, to, you know, completely top to bottom, I mean, that, that doesn't help no matter how good the movie may be or how good a story may be uh, when, when you just can't get behind the casting choices that have been made for the movie. And I really was not crazy about the, the actors they chose for See, the roles in this, unfortunately. From a casting point of view, I liked Christian Bale. I can understand you didn't. Okay. Uh, what's her name that, that played the uh, love interest in it? I thought she was far superior to the one that replaced her. Uh, I can't even think of what her name is off the top of my head. But I, I, uh, I thought Tom she Cruise's was Tom Cruise's ex-wife. What's that? Tom Cruise's ex-wife. Yeah. Yeah, I can't I remember I thought she was either. appealing in the role. I like Liam Neeson as Ra's al Ghul. Uh, I like Michael Caine as Alfred. I like Morgan Freeman as uh, the character he played. I can't even think of what his name is. But So, so I went with the cast. Lucius Fox. Lucius, Lucius yes. yeah. I, I liked the casting in the movie pretty much. I, I was on board with pretty much everybody that they had. So I could see... Oh, and what's his name uh, also as uh, Commissioner Gordon? Uh, Him I liked. Him I liked. Yeah. So, I mean, but it, pretty for the most part, pretty much across the board, I liked everybody who they cast in it. So, and I, and I thought the guy who they had as the Scarecrow was, was appropriately creepy. So, overall, I, I, across the board, I liked the casting. So that makes a difference too, clearly. Cool. What'd you think, Bill? Where are you on this one? Um, I thought I already said that that uh, or I enjoyed it. I have no major major beefs with the movie. You know, it's just another version of the of Batman for me. I, I I'm not, you know, oh my god, it's the best thing since sliced bread, but you know, it's not I don't I, I guess I'm taking the middle of the road stance. And I'm going to argue or, with that, too, because I always thought Italian bread is far superior to sliced bread. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. I'm trying to save up my voice for the rest of the show. Okay. Well, then we'll keep moving. I think we've, we've, we've kind of beaten Batman Begins to death a little bit. And the next one on the list, finally, we have one that, Scott, that you can say you liked again. Uh, we have at number 15, X2 with Electric Boogaloo. Points. 
and ten people voting for it. Why don't you take this one since we got one that you like? <laughs> I, I would like to think that I've been more positive than than not with the. Oh no, I just think we've, we've hit a run on of ones that either you haven't how seen or I, didn't like. How can I not remember the plot to X two? I'm getting them. I'm getting one, two, and three all mixed up in my head. X two is the one that starts with Nightcrawler, um, and he has the attack on the White House, and okay, he tries to kill the president and and is shot and. You know, and and so he doesn't succeed. But he's, you find out later on, he's being mind controlled because William Stryker is, is using the spinal that's fluid it. of his son, who was Mesmero, I think. Uh, or some, I thought something. they were. They thought they were playing him more off as uh, mastermind. Mastermind, that was it. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, okay, yeah, it all comes back to me now. I got it. I'm caught up. I dug the hell out of X2. Now I liked X Men. I, I want to say that maybe the reason I ever... I was trying to think before, and I know we talked about this in the episode when X-Men came up. I was trying to remember why I ever watched X-Men. Because I was not an X-Men fan, you know, from, from the comics. I, I never... I just never cottoned to them somehow. And I was trying to remember, why did I ever decide to watch X-Men? And I think it might have been because X2 was coming out and there was something I'd seen about it or, or one of the kids wanted to see it or something like that. I'm trying to remember when the X-Men video games were out, the, um, what were they called? Legends. And that might have oh, led yeah, into yeah. it. We might have been playing X-Men Legends and then the kids wanted to see X2 because of X-Men Legends, I think. Maybe. I, I might be remember, I might have my timeline mixed up on that. Yeah, those, those, those were on the PS2. Yeah. Were, were they around the time that X2 came out? I want to say so. Uh, it's, that would have been 2000. Yeah. 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 So I, I, might re- right. I might be remembering that right. But anyway, for, for one reason or another, the I, I remember wanting to see X2. And so I hadn't seen X1 and I watched X1 and I really liked it. And I was impressed and, and surprised, frankly, that I did because I never liked the X-Men. And my big takeaway from the first X-Men movie was Wolverine, who of all of the X-Men was the one I really didn't like from the comics. Yet I really liked him in the first X-Men movie. And then when you saw that, you know, it looked like he was going to be an even bigger focus with X2 and that the story was was much more going to revolve around him and and his possible origins there because you have to remember this was at a time when we didn't know the origin of Wolverine yet that that hadn't happened uh, in the comics. Really? So uh, you know, yeah, because remember they they did. Um, well, it wasn't long, too long after that. I think though. it was shortly after that because I think the I think Marvel, the publishing side, got concerned that the movie was going to tackle the subject. You know, the movie series was going to tackle the subject before they could get to it. So mm-hmm. they did it first with, with the origin series. But I'm pretty sure that happened after X two. If I if I'm not mistaken, I I could be wrong about that. Maybe they did try to beat him to the punch. I forget, but I I don't think so. I think that came later. But anyway, um, I did go to see this theatrically, and uh, I make no bones about it. I loved it. I thought it was a great movie. I I was really blown away that here was, holy cow, something that I I never really liked. And all of a sudden, I I couldn't help but think this was one of the best uh, comic book films I'd ever seen. Because 
I felt like X2 was one of the first comic book movies I had seen that was not ashamed to be a comic book movie. I mean, it just didn't make any bones about what it was. It was unashamedly a comic book movie that really worked hard to give you comic book things. And I loved that. And I think you know, there's a lot of other movies that get credited for that. But to my mind, I think X2 may very likely be the first of the modern comic book films to do that, to just go, God damn it, we're comics and we're going to be comics. And, and that's what they did. And so, you know, they gave us elements and, and characters and story elements that were kind of ridiculous in a comic booky sense, but they played it so straight that you just bought it and you just went right along with it and you just had a hell of a fun ride with it. And I appreciated that on, on so many levels because that's the kind of comic book movie I want. I want a comic book movie that is not afraid to be comic booky, you know, so long as they're not doing it, you know, campy or tongue in cheek or, oh, aren't we cute? But just doing it just straight, I can get behind that because that's what my comics are like. And so I, re I really appreciate this movie. I like this one a lot. I'm, I'm really glad that this one not only made the list, but I'm glad it's so high on the list because, you know, there may have been bigger, flashier movies that have come out since. You know, special effects may have taken a quantum leap since this movie came out. But I think it still holds up. I think it's still, you know, one of the better comic book movies. And I think it's the first of the X-Men ones to truly be great. I think X-Men, the first one, was a good movie but I think this is the first of the great um, X-Men movies. And, and I think in so many ways it set the tone for movies that would follow that, that you know, were successful, you know, quote unquote successful my way, if you know what I mean. The way, the way that I want comic book movies to be. So, yeah, I, I have a great uh, fondness for this one. Love the score, by the way. That's, that's a great score for this one. But yeah, damn good movie. I like this one. I've watched this one a lot of times on DVD. As have I, and I agree with pretty much everything you said. The only thing is, for me, uh, this one is has a lot of similarities to Batman Begins for me because I felt like they hit comic book stuff, but they took it seriously. They didn't, they didn't camp it up. They didn't just kind of get silly with it. They presented it in a fairly serious way. And there are more lighthearted moments in this one than there were in Batman Begins, but I feel a similar respect for the source material that a lot of times I didn't see in other movies before this. I thought this was somewhat groundbreaking in that regard. And I, you know, and it, it has the benefit of having, uh, you know, you, you Jackman just owned the Wolverine character. He took, yeah. you know, he, he took the bull by the horns without question and, and owned it. And this movie really benefits from him more so than the first X-Men movie did. I will agree. Anything, Bill? Here. Um, well, considering I couldn't remember the plot. <laughs> <laughs> You're due for a rewatch. Actually, I, I just watched... Um, oh, no, this this was not on, on my list. I actually just watched finally watched uh, X-Men Arm, Armageddon came to Redbox. Or, no, not Armageddon. Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Armageddon Apocalypse. Yeah. X2 is better than that. <laughs> oh, no question in my mind. To me, X2 is the second best X-Men movie. Yes, I will agree. Behind 
one that's coming up on the list? Behind one that's behind on the list. Behind one that's behind on the list, or one that's coming up on the list? Well, it's behind it because it's ranked higher than it. Oh, okay. So you were over Unger, but Unger was underdone. Yes. (laughs) See, this one probably should have been on my list, but I, I tried very hard not... You know, if it was like a series of movies then I picked the one of the series that I liked the most and, and put that on my list as opposed to putting them on multiple times. But well, uh, this, this, this one, is on my list because I had two X-Men franchise movies on my list. I probably should have as well because I, really I really do love this one. So Moving down to number 14 on our list, moving right along. Scott, why don't you take this one? Haha. <laughs> This is an all-time favorite. This is The Rocketeer from 1990, I want to say. 90 or 91? Right Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly. And, uh, yeah. and Bill, damn, Bill what a... Campbell, who I knew from Crime Story at that time. Yeah. What a great movie this is. I, you know, to me, there's, there's like three tiers of, of superhero movies. You know, it, it basically, you've got... You know, there are three eras, I guess I should say, of superhero movies. You have, you know, the the first Superman movie through, you know, like 1988 or so. And not a lot of superhero stuff in that stretch. It mostly is Superman movies. And then there was a lot of the TV stuff. And then you have the second wave that kind of starts with Batman 89, you know, the, the Tim Burton movie. And goes through pretty much, you know, and, it, and it's kind of arguable wh- where that ends, but somewhere around, say, Bla- either Blade or X Men, and then everything that has come since then. Of that second era, I think this is probably the best one that's in there. You know, a, a lot of people will point to, like, uh, you know, Batman 89, and, you know, some, you know, we talked about some of the other movies as well, like The Shadow and The Phantom. Yeah, this is. Because they, I mean, he's not a straight up quote unquote superhero. He's a pulp hero, as was the Shadow and right and um, the Phantom. You know, and I think we talked about that as like a a triumvirate of, of pulp movies. Yeah, that were big back in the nineties. But uh, I, I loved this one. I, I did see this one in the theater, and uh, and I really enjoyed it. I remember liking it when I saw it at the theater. But not being really blown away by it, and then when it came out on uh, on video later. Uh, getting a copy of it and then that's when I truly fell in love with it and would just watch it over and over and over again and I remember wanting to go see it at the theater because I actually was a fan of the Rocketeer in the comics I actually knew who he was and I had not all of his appearances because they were kind of hard to find at that time because he was a character with a really weird history because he popped up um, in one series and then he would have like they, they were basically chapter stories and they would be in different chapters of different books all over the place. So his publishing history was just very scattered all over the place. And at that time they hadn't collected them all yet. So it was just kind of catch as catch can as far as his appearances in the different chapters of the story. But what I had read of the character, I really, really liked him. And so I was impressed with the movie that they got the flavor of the comics so well but i remember at the time being just slightly annoyed that they they did take great liberties with the story 
I've come to realize that I think the com the uh, the film version is so much far superior to the comics, which is not how I felt the first time I watched it. But over time, I, I've really come to believe it is better. But I think what it was is at the time, I thought that a lot of it was that they had kind of homogenized it because it was Disney that was putting it out. So they weren't going to let his girlfriend be Betty Page like she was in the comics and stuff like that. So it, it didn't it lacked some of the edge that the comics had. But where it makes up for all that in, in the film version is it's just this movie's got heart. It's just it's a really good, wholesome superhero story of, you know, just kind of the guy who uh, kind of lucks into being, you know, he's kind of the reluctant hero. And I, I really enjoy that. You know, he's a little bit Steve Rogers. He's a little bit uh, uh, Superman. You know, he's uh, a little bit Indiana Jones. Uh, all kind of wrapped together, but it's got a certain like just fun, innocent, golly shucks kind of uh, fun romp that it presents, and uh, and I really like it. And I think, you know, the special effects today in certain instances may look a little bit dated because there's a lot of blue screen in it, but the special effects that do hold up hold up incredibly well. The first time he dons the rocket pack and blasts off, the perspective is you looking down at him from like a bird's eye view and him coming up at you and the ground receding in the background. And it's just, that's glorious. That works no matter how, how old the movie gets. That always looks really good. And uh, it, it's just got, it's got, you know, a, a great scope to it. Um, really good characters. I, I love um, Timothy Dalton as the bad guy. And uh, it's eminently quotable. I mean, it's it's got some really good dialogue in it. Uh, I, I love when uh, when Eddie Valiant, you know, one of the one of the favorite uh, scenes in the entire movie is when uh, uh, not Eddie Valiant, that's not his name, uh, Eddie Valentine rather, uh, the mobster, Paul Servino. Yeah, Paul Servino, when the Rocketeer makes him realize that the guy he's been working for a is a Nazi, and he he you know uh, Timothy Dalton's character says to him, he goes, you know, you know, what, who does it matter who I work for? You know, the, he essentially says, you know, you get paid. What does it matter? And Paul Servino just says, you know, I might not make an honest buck, but I'm a hundred percent American and I don't work for to no two bit Nazi. That's one of my favorite movie lines ever. Cause it's just the way he delivers it. He's so earnest in that. And, uh, and that's kind of the turning point of that particular moment of the movie as well. But uh, just a hell of a fun movie. You know, if you haven't seen it or if you haven't seen it in a long time, check it out again. I think it holds up incredibly well. Uh, the, I think The Rocketeer definitely deserves to be high on the list. This was actually number 10 on my personal list. Well, there's a lot of um, um, character actors. You got Paul Servino, you got Terry O'Quinn as Howard Hughes. Yeah, he's um, great. You've got, I can never remember his name, but he plays the head FBI agent. He's a good character actor. Been yeah, he was, on a, he was on a lot of stuff. He was on Next Gen and a bunch of stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. I know who you're talking about. The tall guy that keep, keeps getting punched in the mouth. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. was like, uh, he was on BJ and the Bear as like one of the recurring <laughs> the police chiefs that, that always would, you know. Well, he was Bear, that's right, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think so. And then wasn't uh, the guy that played the big uh, henchman? The muscular guy wasn't the same actor to play. That wasn't that little Ron that plays the uh, the guy on Deep Space Nine. Paul, he plays uh, what's his name, the Grand Nagus's bodyguard. Yeah, yeah, that's him. 
Yeah, I think so. I think it is. Oh. oh, the one that gets killed by the big guy? No, the no, the big guy. The big guy himself. Oh, okay. Well, the the guy that he kills. Now that you say that, I think he uh, I think he might have been a Ferengi on uh, on D- DS Nine or one of the Star Trek shows as well. I'd forgotten that until now. I forget what that actor's name is. Oh, I don't know. But the one that the remember. one that gets squeezed to death by the big yeah, guy. Yeah, but I don't remember who he was. Yeah, I think he was. I think he was one of those character actors. Oh, wait, too. that wasn't the guy that played Neelix, was it? No. Oh, no. Okay. No, he uh, he's forced to shoot himself, uh, kill himself in the shadow. He's one of the security guards that. Uh, that oh, that's Neelix. That's yeah, that's Neelix. Yeah. Oh, okay. In oh. the shadow. Yeah. Oh, in the shadow. Yeah. Yes. Which is one of the reasons why I love. How can you not love a movie where the the bad guy makes Neelix shoot himself in the head? How can you not love that? <laughs> so yeah, that automatically puts it on this list. And he makes Magneto his bitch. Oh, yep. I'm just looking at the cast list on Wikipedia. Tiny Ron is in it, so... Yes. Oh, yes, he plays the big guy. Uh, yeah. I can't remember the name of his character, but it was... Lothar. Lothar, that's it, yes. Yep. You got Jennifer, Jennifer Connelly back when she was beautiful, when she still had her uh, full buxom beauty, and uh, yeah, before she looked like a skeleton. I think she had an actual breast reduction. Yeah, she did, and I've never forgiven her for it. You know, that's just a crime against God and man. You know, how how can you do that? Well, you know, back problems, things yeah, like that. Yeah, I, I think it's I think that's I based on physical problems, not not a desire to around less, her. Yeah, yeah, less large. But uh, I'm just looking at the cast list. Max Grod Grodner- yes. chick. Oh, that's Rom. Play, that's, played Wil- that's Wilmer. So yes. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, yeah, that's Rom. Yeah. Yeah. From DS Nine. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, Alan Arkin was uh, PV. He's oh, yeah. great. He is fantastic in that. He uh, he really does a good job uh, in that role. Um, yeah, Paul Savino, John Polito, yeah. who's always fun as a character actor. William mm-hmm. Sanderson, who was the big bad in Die Hard 2. Uh, Clint Howard, who's always oh you know, wow, yeah. who, who who will ever be uh, Clint Howard Tranya be drinking Tranya in my mind. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. I mean, I saw this in the movies too, and I was familiar with the character. I had, uh, I had his first few appearances because they were in the Star Slayer comic by Mike Grell that right. I collected. Uh, so I was familiar with the character. I went to see it, and when I first see it, I guess we had a similar experience because I was a little underwhelmed by it when I first saw it. It's not that I didn't like it; I just thought it was uh, almost forgettable. And then I saw it a second time, and there's a certain endearing quality to it that kind of propped it up again for me. It's not on my top ten list, but I, I do believe it's a really solid movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, this is another one of those movies, like say Tron or, or some of the other <sighs> ones we've talked about, where you know it may not have done that well at the time it came out, and, and the critical response may have been mixed, but it kind of found its life by being just like a cult favorite. You know, it definitely has a strong cult following. Um, but even to this day, I don't know that even in, in like DVD sales or what, that it's particularly a strong uh, seller or what. But it definitely has its uh, its followers. There was a, um, a reunion party. It was the, what, 20th or 25th 
anniversary not long ago that uh, they held out in California, and there was it, they made a big deal out of it, and like Kevin Smith was there, and you know the, the actors from the movie and everything, and it was it was quite the big uh, big thing. I wish I'd known about it further in advance. I would have loved to have gone, but uh, but yeah, I mean it, it seems to be you know today it seems to be pretty well regarded amongst our crowd anyway, as far as you know the comic book fans and everything. I think a lot of people hold this one pretty high. Yeah, you know, as evidence yeah. that it's you know it's on this list at what was it fourteen, mm-hmm. so that's pretty damn good considering you know all the other movies that are on the list. I think we'll uh, we'll wrap up tonight's show at number thirteen. We'll have to go for a second one, uh, and because we're just yeah we're going long. We've got a lot of. I was you, thinking the same thing. We got a lot of movies still to do, and I see a lot of discussion. Yeah, before before we started recording, I, I mentioned to Scott that I thought oh, you know, okay. with these movies we might have a lot to talk about and we might have to split the list. So 13 is a prime time to do it. So number 13 on the list is Spider-Man 2. Electric Boogaloo. Oh. I got to say, of the, <laughs> of the five Spider-Man movies that have been made, no question about it, this is my favorite. I, I think this one really just did a great job and and i think a big big part about it is they created a really good villain in this book in this yeah book in this movie you know uh alfred molina as doc ock is perfect casting as far as i'm concerned and he plays a sympathetic character and yet a psychopath through circumstances as as they develop in the movie and the you know the the uh, the action sequences are really well done. The slower moments are all you know and you know they're they're very they get you very involved in the movie. Overall, this is one of you know obviously where it's placed on the list. I think backs it up. This is just one of the best movies overall on the list. Not just comic book movies. I think this is just one of the best movies. I think it's well directed, well acted, well written. What do you guys think? I thought we were doing it next time. <laughs> I guess we're doing it now. <laughs> no, we're doing this. We're, we're ending on this one. Oh, we're ending on this one. Oh, yeah. I love this. With it, it, yeah, he, you actually you have a lot more. You're very more. Uh, you're more. <clears throat> excuse me. Sympathetic to him than you were to Willem Dafoe, even though Willem Dafoe was just a little crazy. You know, uh, you, you 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 feel more of of uh, Doc Ock's loss in this with the, the death of his wife with the experiment and then you know he gets you know the arms end up being grafted to him and then they try to cut them off and he just goes nuts in the hospital and and Peter even steps up a lot as a hero and you got that I know it's not a realistic scene because I guess the way the trains actually are in New York with the you know the whole stopping of the train thing and so some people complain of the physics of that and Etc. Etc. But it was still a very, a very uh, strong moment in the film where he stops the train and all the people on the train protect him from Doc Ock. Yeah, there is no L train in Manhattan like what they show there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but an L train, folks, means elevated. I don't, I don't care. It's still cool. <laughs> the only place I know of an L train is Chicago. Well, there's, there's L trains in Brooklyn and in the Bronx, just not- right, but not in Manhattan proper. But uh, Scott, I like this one a lot. I am well overdue for a rewatch of it. Um, I make no bones about it that 
I think that the Spider-Man movies improved as they went along. So my personal favorite is the third one, which I I know how that goes over with most of the rest of the crowd. Um, I like Spider-Man 2 a lot. I remember thinking very highly of this one when it came out and and this one being right up there on my lists uh, when it was new. But, um, you know, keeping in mind that I'm well overdue for a rewatch, the last few times I watched it, however, I remember thinking that it it wasn't aging very well. Like, it wasn't holding its own with, you know, subsequent films that were coming along. Uh, One of the problems I've had with it um, in subsequent rewatches is that a lot more of the campiness of it jumps out to me than it did the first time that I watched it. There's a lot of that just Sam Raimi-ness with this movie. What I mean by that is, you know, if you've seen his other movies, particularly like, say, like Evil Dead 2, I mean, I love that movie. It's a lot of fun, but it's also very campy. It's not a straight-up horror film. And that's part of my problem with Spider-Man 2 is there's a lot of that Sam Raimi campy shit going on in what is otherwise a a pretty excellent superhero film. And those elements, unfortunately, keep jumping out to me larger and larger every time I rewatch the film, and it gets harder and harder to get past those those particular elements. Um, And so in a lot of ways, Spider-Man 2 has fallen on my personal list to be more on par with something like Superman Returns, where it comes down to... Uh, you know, I enjoy it, but it essentially I enjoy it because there's one part of it that I really, really love. And the rest of it's just kind of like, man, eh, it's OK. And that's the train sequence. I think the train sequence makes this movie. I think if you were to take that train sequence out, eh, then I think you basically got Spider-Man, you know, the first one. Mm-hmm. But I, I love that train sequence. I think that is uh, that's solid and that's really cool. Um, I will say, however, that I think this movie has one of the best endings of any superhero movie because I love the just the way it's staged, the way it's filmed, and the way the score comes up at the very end when Mary Jane leaves her own wedding and goes to Peter. And they're in the apartment and everything. And they're talking and whatever else is going on. And then all of a sudden there's the call on the radio and she goes, go get him tiger. And Mm -hmm. he jumps out the window. It's a very happy moment. And then they're all smiling everything. But then when he actually swings away and the camera comes in tight on her and she has a very, just kind of forlorn look on her face, listen to the score in that moment. And it goes from a very light Spider-Man motif to suddenly it's very dark and foreboding of what's what lies in their future kind of thing. And that's how the film closes out. And I always liked that because for just a brief moment, that was like the empire strikes back ending for, for this trilogy. And I really liked that because it was very foreboding of, okay, they're finally together. She finally knows who he is. Everything's going to be okay. Or will it? And that's kind of what the music is saying to me in that in that moment. So I really like that ending. Um, I, I'm I really need to sit and, and rewatch uh, these first two Spider-Man movies again. I'm I'm wondering how I would feel about them, you know, with a more modern rewatch. I'm hoping I would feel a little bit, you know, better about the first one, but also maybe it would shore the second one back up for me because I, I never. 
disliked it. I just remember, you know, in subsequent rewatches, not liking it as much as I had that very first, because the very first time I saw it, I remember just being blown away by it. But then when I watched it, you know, subsequent times, I remember just not being as impressed and seeing more of the flaws than, than more of the things that I liked. So I don't know, but I, I did like Molina as, uh, as Doc Ock. I thought that was pretty cool. I just, I wish his arms had been more like the, the, tube type like they were in the comics you know where it was just like mm-hmm. um what do you call that um oh shoot there's a term for that you know where they where they extend out from each other you know what i'm talking about i can't think yeah, of what that I, term. I know what you're saying and i, I telescoping like yeah like the telescoping arms and everything like you know just more tubular like they were in the comics as opposed to mm-hmm. what, whatever they were supposed to be in the movie i just thought that was kind of weird looking like with the little beak things at the end and all that but i mean that was a minor nitpick but i i did think he was really good in the role and uh and i like the fights you know between him and spider-man so yeah I, I thought it was a pretty good movie pretty good score too yes yes this is one where i was familiar with the score you know i'm not always as conscious of it as you are but uh i, I do remember particularly enjoying the score in this one uh so we're gonna wrap up our uh Part four of our movie coverage, which I thought was going to be the final part, but uh, we're going to wrap it up with twelve movies left to go. Oh, you're killing me because that next one I could just I could go on for hours about. And that's why, <laughs> just, why we're that's why we're wrapping up here. I, know. I had considered going two more and then doing a top ten, but I thought we're better off. The next two movies would probably take us half an hour by themselves, right? So. Why don't we just wrap it up here and say goodnight, everybody, and we'll see you with 12 more movies down the road. See you later. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. You know, I like the cuddle. Oh, great. There's another clip for you.